0: to a new episode of Thinking Aloud About Film. I'm quite excited today to be looking at Arturo Ripstein's El Castillo de la Pureza, The Castle of Purity. Arturo Ripstein is one of those iconic, super famous filmmakers, you know, renowned throughout Latin America. Uh, He's worked with everybody, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Octavio Paz, uh, Luis Buñuel. He's just, you know, one of those figures that make me embarrassed because actually, until this film, I had not had the opportunity of seeing any of his work, really. So, so I'm very curious. What did you think of the Castle of Purity?
1: I can't remember how many, but there's a few of his films on on Mubi, and this is the the earliest one, although it's not not his first film. Very odd story. It's a gripping story. It, it's you can see, I think, the influence of have, have Bunuel, well, I think.
0: I loved it. I would say he's a discovery, but of course, you know, he is someone that I've heard of for the last 30 years, right, and just never had the opportunity to see. It's so interesting because this is like a kind of horror film, really, or the setup for it is a kind of horror film. So the story is basically about this man who is... Disgusted with the world and immersed in patriarchal ideals that he locks his family into his house and Doesn't uh, allow them to leave for any reason whatsoever You know, and this is why it's called the castle of purity. So, you know, the the house is set around this courtyard It's always raining. Yeah, when it's not raining You hear all of the rain in the soundtrack and he really is a patriarch. He's got it, you know, His wife, who is really in love with him, completely under control. He's got all his children regimented, right? He's the teacher, yeah. He's the father, yeah. He organizes where everyone sits at dinner, but also he's got them working full time. The family business Mm. is making making rat poison, poison, (laughs) which the father spends the day selling, and the rest of the family spend the day making. So that's the setup of. Uh, the film, everything seems slightly creepy, but okay, until the children hit, well, more than puberty.
1: There are three children, and there's a young girl who's, say, 11 or 12, and then the older sister and brother, who are, I I assume, is supposed to be 16, 17, although the the actors look a bit older than that.
0: So, So, and the whole thing culminates when the father sees his two children making out, in a disused car in the courtyard. And then kind of, you know, everything explodes and it's like all the filth of the world is brought into his house and so on. So the film has like this really creepy ambivalence, right? It reminded me also a little bit of seeing Fred West's children on television.
1: Because it's actually based on a a true Mm. story although there are differences. So the real case, the the guy was arrested in 1959, so 13 years before the film. The real case, he he kept his family locked up. Um, They were making rat poison. There are differences in the the real case. There were six children. It sounds like the house was um, a lot more squalid when the police came to it. The children were dressed in rags and so on. And there's a degree of uncertainty about what actually went on in the house. People watching it at the time would be very aware that this was referring to that famous case, particularly because the father actually committed suicide in prison the same year the film right. came out, just, which I assume was just a coincidence, so it would have been back in the press. It would be one of those famous cases, like if you talk about Fred West or you talk about Joseph Fritz, or, you know, people would have remembered this guy, this family, in the same way. But it didn't strike me as exploiting the case no, or no, exploiting
0: no. the family, because it's,
1: it's, it's different enough from what went on.
0: I mean, what what I was going to say is that it reminded me of the West. Uh, Because I saw this interview, and they were saying, yes, my father, he was terrible, he did this to me. And then, like, one of the children says, but I really love him, right? And one of the things about this film that's so rich is that you see all those ambivalences, yeah? That, you know, this horrible, controlling man nonetheless loves his children and is trying to do what he thinks is good for them Though, actually, he's not entirely in good faith, right? Because he gets to see the outside world. He travels through it. He's sexually obsessed. He goes to visit prostitutes, right? So, inside, he's trying to maintain this castle of purity, you know. But outside, he's a complete sleazebag, yeah? Mm, Uh, Yeah, yeah. What did you think of that incident in the hardware store where he comes on to the young girl who refuses him and then he tells the mother that she would come on to him.
1: That was really interesting, and perhaps it tells you something about his behaviour inside the house as well. That he, he's sort of blaming the children, for, you know, locking the children up in cages every now and again, and, and for, for bad behaviour. But I mean, he's a, he's a monster clearly, but he's a, he's a kind of comes across as a fairly suave, professional mm. man. But he's, he's a monster, and you, you do see that in his behaviour.
0: The film has a fantastic ambiance. I think. You know, and uh, it's it's beautifully designed and beautifully shot. So, you know, he's a real filmmaker in the sense that, you know, just the placement of the figures on screen and the compositions uh, are very meaningful. They're always, like, purposeful. You know, when the camera moves, it's always for a reason. Um, I kind of, it creates this this atmosphere that I found kind of quite... Quite gripping, and that I also wish I'd seen on a big screen. Actually,
1: I, I was slightly disappointed when the film actually went outside the house for so long. It's in just inside the house, and I assume that's all you're going to see. And then when you you sort of suddenly see the outside world and him traveling around, it kind of almost loses a bit of the bit of the mm-hmm. intensity.
0: I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, just context for the film, really, because in some ways the film reminded me of Buñuel's. Uh, the exterminating angel, yeah, about these people kind of trapped in this dinner party and unable to leave, right? But this is kind of the opposite. This is a patriarch trapping his family, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. controlling that. And of course, the thing is that the film is also highly symbolic, right? So, you know, the children are called Utopia, uh, future, what's to come.
1: Unlikely as it seems, that's something from the real case. All, all the, the six children in the real case all had names like Innocence and Purity wow. and Hope. Yeah, whatever it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Buñuel overhangs this film. So, you know, I was just noticing that, of course, uh, Arturo Ripstein had been uh, Buñuel's assistant in uh, The Exterminating Angel. He's, he's the assistant director on that film. Um, but also, Claudio Brook... Yeah, the the father, the patriarchal father, uh, was in uh, Simon of the Desert in Buñuel's Simon of the Desert, uh, and also the incredibly beautiful Rita Macedo, who is the the mother, who plays the mother. She also worked for Luis Buñuel uh, in uh, Rehearsal for a Crime and Nazarene.
1: Yeah, just say Claudio Brook was in the exterminating. As well, as, well. As, well. Yeah. as well,
0: And the film has like a a, a fascinating history. So it was really driven by Dolores del Rio, yeah, the great Mexican Hollywood star. They disagreed over the leading man. Uh, Dolores del Rio wanted Fernando Rey and because they hadn't paid for the screenplay, yeah, in a very unusual circumstance, Arturo Ripstein took the film away from Dolores del Rio and Gabriel Figueroa, the the famous cinematographer for John Ford and Buñuel, and decided to to make it on on his own, the story is he bumped into Angelica uh, Ortiz, uh, and she said, "Let me read the screenplay for the weekend." She read it, and then she decided to produce it. So it's a very interesting film. Yeah, that this film is produced by a woman. Uh, I don't know how unusual that was uh, in you know the, the Mexican film industry of that period, but it's unusual enough in general to to remark upon. Yeah, yeah. But let's move back to the film again, because I mean, what was your experience of it as it unfolded?
1: I don't know if it's a restoration, but it looks it's a very nice copy on, on movie, as you say, the framing, the placement of the characters, and so on. The, the but also the atmosphere, and you, you're immediately thrown into this world where they're they're making rat poison, and you you kind of gradually realise what's going on in the house. You know, he, he the younger daughter drops something, so he locks her in a cage, and then you you real the, through conversation, you realise that the the children have never left the the property. You, it, it's not a surprise how it develops because the you know the relationship between the brother and sister. you think, Yeah, they're locked up together. They're they're now teenagers. They've never met anyone else. This is almost inevitable. Um, but the way the way it unfolds is is, yeah. is great. Very I
0: good. mean, I I think what surprised me most about the way that it unfolded is that I mean, in many ways, nothing much happens plot wise, right? So. The whole of the charge of the narrative charge of the film is in terms of the information that you get about the father. So he comes across as a little bit harsh and patriarchal, but as someone who wants, who loves and wants the best for his family. As the film unfurls, his character comes into question. Yeah, he's not quite the honest man. Yeah, he's in he's inventing stories about his wife So for a while you get the feeling that the wife was someone with a history that maybe she'd been a prostitute or something Right and that you know, he'd he'd married her out of love and goodwill and actually Subsequently you get the sense that he's inventing these stories about the wife Yeah, that he's got these horrible ideas of women as complete sinners and and so on that uh, he's two-faced so What he forbids, his own family, he's corrupt on his own. Uh, You get the sense that as he's walking down the streets selling his rat poison, he's constantly on the hunt for sex that he's happy to pay for. Mm.
1: That's another reason why it doesn't feel like this film is exploiting the victims of the real crime because you don't... Most of what you discover is about what the father's doing and why he's doing it. There's a lot of uncertainty about what's really going on in the house and that was the case in real life that that, you know whether incest was going on and whether some stories are that they were that the children actually did leave the house on a regular basis and the mother-in-law visited regularly no no one no one really knows and so i think leaving that a bit unclear is an interesting way of handling it yes
0: i mean i think the film is almost like poetic really the set is marvelous it has this inner courtyard yeah where um when it's raining, everyone has to move through it and get wet and clammy and yeah, uh, everything is run down. there's a car, but with the wheels turned off and of course, the place is inherently dangerous because the children are constantly working with poison and strychnine and yeah. right so that kind of of clamminess of a foreboding of death and a, a mental imprisonment and yeah, is very vividly uh, evoked. I think.
1: I love the scenes where he's doing stuff like, you know, they're, they're having their, their exercise and he's sort of they're beating a stick to keep count as they're all having to do circuit training around the living room.
0: You know that that is an archetypal fascist image. There's a yeah, very famous yeah. photograph in Spain in the early '60s, which Almodovar uses in Bad Education, which is of a priest in all his black robes with his stick beating time as this regiment of children do their press-ups in tune and in alignment, right? So the film yeah. kind of really evokes all of that. It's quite amazing because it's very much like a kind of a deconstruction of the patriarchy through the family, right, in this kind of almost horror vein. Like, it's not quite a horror film in the sense that there's nothing supernatural about it. You know, but the 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 poison the setting, the rain, the the sense of foreboding, is very like a horror film, mm. I think.
1: Just the atmosphere and, as you say, and the, the, the sort of sinister aspects of what's going on, and you're never quite sure, you know, how it's going to end. You're unsure how mm. it's going to go.
0: Well, um, from now yeah. on, it's spoilers, but I want <laughs> to tell me what you thought of the, the, the denouement. So, uh, the eldest daughter writes a note asking for help, throws it out the window, but it gets trampled on. And actually, the police arrest the father, or they don't even arrest the father. They ask for his permit to sell his product. And then mm. there's a misunderstanding and and everything explodes in the house. I mean, what did you think of that?
1: I mean, it's very melodramatic. It kind of worked. And I think another thing... It's possibly the reaction to it from viewers at the time again would hark back to the real case because in the real case, the, the same happened. The daughter threw a note out of the window, but in, in the in the real case, somebody found the note and the note was how the police mm-hmm. took action. Um, so if, if, if you were viewing it at the time, you would perhaps see that saying, oh, oh she's great, she, the note has happened, but then people just trample on the note and, and, it, and it gets mm-hmm. washed away. So you'd then be thinking, oh my God, this is how it... How is this going to end? You know, is it you're 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 then in new territory because it's not it's not going in the direction you expect it's going to, it's going to go. Uh, but I think it needed that that sort of well. The, the, there's two ways it ends. First, firstly, there's this sort of melodramatic scene where he's threatening to kill the family and you know he sets fire to the house. I um, mean, ultimately the family are rescued, but then it goes on beyond that and you see the family back in the house without the father, obviously, and they are just. Don't know what to do And you know, it's it's they're, and they're kind of upset that the father is gone um which again appears to be close to what happens in reality that they didn't get any support um unlike what, what would happen now even happened in the Fritzl case they got they had no support they visited they carried on visiting the father until he died um they perhaps as happens in the film you know the daughter throws a note out of the window but then apologize then she's got, "Oh my God what have I done?" <laughs> um, what
0: well, think you think so- of the last shot so you know the um family returns to the house, the camera zooms in on a close up of the mother, you know, and then there's another kind of close up on the bells that always announce the father's returning from the outside, right the old tin cans functioning as bells. And then it kind of, the image gets so close up that it dissolves and that's the end of the film. What did you make of that?
1: It kind of, I guess it feels like, although he's gone, they're still kind of imprisoned in the house. Um, and they're almost kind of waiting for him to, to return and tell them yeah. what to do. Because they, their life has been so controlled by this. I
0: movie. mean, the way I, that I read it is, you know, with this great ambivalence, because of course, as soon as the father leaves, there's their source of income, which they've been anxious about, how are we going to eat, right? Nobody wants this poison anymore because, you know, there's a much cheaper industrialised version made in a factory, right? So how are we going to survive this industrial change? But And then, of course, as soon as the father leaves, all the source of income and so on leaves, yeah. right? So how will this family now survive without the father?
1: I would say for all the father's faults and all the terrible things he did, he, he is correct about the environmental impact of the alternative product because there's a scene where he's shown the alternative product. He's like, well, but that's wrapped in polyurethane. Polyurethane will be around for thousands of years. Mine is yeah. wrapped in paper.
0: <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic ending because it added to the critique of the patriarchy. The family in a patriarchal culture is doomed by patriarchy, whether the father is there or not. If he's there, he's abusive and controlling and so on. If he's not there they have no money (laughs) yeah so kind of and i thought the film kind of pictured that in in all its complexity really yeah so i I think it's kind of a great film and i'm very eager to see more uh by arturo ripstein all right well thank you very much for listening we're thinking aloud about film i'm jose i'm richard bye-bye